Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, I am Joe Lormont, and welcome to Hold the Line, the podcast for force free gun dog training. Hold the Line is committed to helping you train your dog to an advanced level using motivational methods and without the use of fear or pain. Thank you for tuning in and please make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hold the Line! So this episode was going to be a product review episode where I talk about an amazing piece of equipment that I have discovered and kind of share it with you. However, the piece of equipment concerned is a harness. So then I thought, well, why not talk about harnesses generally and collars and equipment before getting into the product review part of things. So that's what I think I'm going to do. So with all that said and done, harnesses. So I use harnesses on my dogs the vast majority of the time. So there are a few exceptions and times when I won't use a harness and we'll t- I'll talk about that in a minute as well. Um, not all force-free gun dog trainers use harnesses. There are some very reputable trainers who still use flat collars the vast majority of the time. They must have their reasons for, for doing that um, and I'm sure can talk to people about why that is. I personally prefer to use harnesses. I'm going to talk a little bit about why I prefer to use harnesses and the reasoning for that. So I use a harness because even if a dog is well-trained, occasionally they're going to pull on the lead and they're going to try to get to something. It's almost inevitable if you are walking around with them long enough that they're going to attempt to, to get to something. When that happens, there's going to be a kind of nasty jerking, or maybe not even just jerking, they might just pull into it and be a slow tightening of the leash around their neck if they're wearing a flat collar. And, you know, particularly I think when we're working with gun dogs, we're doing things like sit to flush and we're starting to work around game and starting to work under very distracting environments. And I think that the amount the risk of of there being a very sudden um jerk on the neck is considerable and i think to put these jerks on the necks in context if you know we are well we are force free i am force free anyway um and i don't use aversives and i would not use a leash correction on my dog i wouldn't pop my dog using the leash and give a leash correction and I think that if the dog is able to do the same thing to themselves, 
because of a piece of equipment that we've chosen. So if we've chosen to use a collar and our choice of that equipment results in the dog being able to give themselves a jerk around the throat, which is the equivalent of the jerk that they would receive if they had a um, um, I don't know, slip lead on and they were deliberately being corrected with the slip lead, then I think we have to question that piece of equipment that is making that possible, which is the collar. So so that's that's kind of my main the main reason why I want to use a harness majority of the time. So this hasn't always been the case by the way, so I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but flat collars were very much the thing to use. Um until I don't know when maybe the last sort of 5-7 years before that flat collars were the thing to bring your puppy to class wearing even if it was a force free class it would be the flat collar and so when I was running my classes sometimes I would open the door to let people into the hall and I would see all these little puppies and they would be standing up on their back legs with their full body weight leaning into their collars trying to get to each other of course and their throats would be literally bisected by the collar so their pressure on the collar which would be their full body weight, it was, su- was such that it it literally cut their throats in half with, with the collar. You could see the size of their throat was reduced in width by half if you were looking at them side on as they tried to reach each other. And I, even at the time, I think, this isn't good, this isn't, I don't think, I, you know, I don't like this, but I couldn't at the time think of an alternative solution to this. And I'll get to the reason for that in a minute, because that's, that's a bit more to do with the history of all of this. So... I'm very happy now that I don't see that anymore. Um, I just see puppies on their harnesses trying to get to each other and they're they're not bisecting their throats or anything like that. So I also think that, well, I believe that and I know that and I think the science supports the argument that what's in a dog's throat is similar and equivalent to what's in a human throat in terms of anatomically and physiologically. We, We know what is in there and it's the same stuff that's in a human throat, including um, the larynx, the thyroid, you know, all this stuff that we don't really want to be compressing, the windpipe. So I think it makes sense, logical sense, to extrapolate from that, that it's not great to be compressing it in a dog's throat either. And Emily Lalum, also known as Kiko Pup, has a great article which you can look up online. And if you just Google Emily Lalum and is it harmful to attach a leash to your dog's neck, then you will get the article up. So the article is called, Is it harmful to attach a leash to your dog's neck? And she makes some quite convincing arguments in there in favour of using a harness. Now, there are some things to point out when it comes to using a harness in terms of choosing a harness which fits your dog and which doesn't impede their movement in any way. If you imagine a harness, it can either have a strap which runs horizontally across the dog's front from left to right so it almost barricades the very top of their legs or you can have a harness which the front part is kind of a y shape so it comes up between their legs and then it goes to either side of their neck so the type of harness which obstructs the front movement of the front legs less is going to be the y front of the harness so you want to be looking for a harness ideally which has got a y fronted shape on the front of it um and preferably one which sits quite high up 
on the neck as well so it's not going to even if you've got a wife on the harness if it's got a really wide he- head hole it can slip down and still obstruct the movement of the front leg so make sure it sits quite high up on the neck of the dog and it really isn't interfering with the shoulders and the movement of the shoulders at all it's also important then to watch your dog with a critical eye so don't just um, look at your dog but see your dog while they're running around so you especially looking at them running flat out so when they're you know running as fast as they can run and lying down are they able to lie down with their front legs out in front of them comfortably in the harness and jumping are they able to jump okay and to extend their legs okay Um, obviously if you're doing extended amounts of jumping you take the harness off because you don't want to be jumping the dog in the harness but for the occasional jump you want to make sure that your dog is able to move themselves and have a free range of motion in all of their limbs so you know really watch your dog and how they move in the harness and and be thinking about that critically don't just stick a harness on your dog and think oh right well it's going to be okay because it's a harness and it kind of fits so um other things to say is that a harness which is, is fitted too loosely is actually as bad as a harness which is fitted too tightly. I think sometimes people think they're making things more comfortable by the, for the dog by loosening straps. And actually that can make the harness a lot less comfortable and can result in um, movement of limbs um, happening, sorry, impediment of the limbs moving happening a lot more. So um, particularly that's the case if you are using a harness which has a bar across the front uh, such as the freedom harness or you know, any harness which has got a horizontal bar across the front of the dog, if that um, front bar is too big, is too loose, it's going to slack down and go across, you know, lower down on the dog's front legs and really going to affect the ability to move freely. Um, so make sure your harness fits well, not too big, not too small, and that your dog can move properly in it. Other features that you want to look out for in a harness, which some of you might want to consider. Firstly, a clip at the neck. So a lot of dogs don't like the harness going on over their heads. They're fine once it's on, but they don't like it as the harness kind of looms towards them and goes over their heads. It can be quite intimidating and frightening sometimes for some dogs. So there are many harnesses on the market now which actually have a clip on the neck that you can undo so that you can put the harness around the dog's neck like you would a collar and then you can also have another clip around the dog's body so the dog doesn't have to have that experience of something going over the head so if your dog's a bit worried about stuff going over the head or a bit body shy for other reasons you might want to consider a harness with a neck clip another factor to look out for is gapage this is my word gapage i have created it because I just felt that there was not a word that adequately communicated this. So basically, when you have a harness which has got two points of attachment on it, on the back and on the chest of the dog, on the front of the dog, and you clip a leash to those two points of attachment, and there is any sort of tension in that leash, there usually is some amount of saggy stuff happening around the dog's shoulders. So that means that the harness is kind of loose, goes loose. And that happens because it's being pulled both on the dog's back and from the dog's front. So I've termed this gapage. It's like the harness is gaping at the dog's shoulder. And different harnesses have this to different degrees. Some of them can be really quite bad. You can almost insert your entire arm into the space between the dog and the harness when the two bits of leash are, are 
are tense. Um, other harnesses have much, much less gapage. So it's one of the things you just can't tell until you put a harness on your dog and you see how it fits your dog and you see what happens when the leash goes tight. So why does gapage matter? Well, it matters because it affects control. So it also affects the way the harness fits. So if the harness is really baggy and gaping when the lead goes tight, it kind of spins around and twists and gets out of position. It just doesn't really work very well. So we need that front attachment to remain on the dog's chest in order for it to be able to um, work properly, really. So if the front attachment gets dragged around to the side because there's so much gapage happening on the shoulder, then it's just not going to work very well. So that's another fact thing to look out for if you are trialing a harness is how much does it gape at the shoulder? And another couple of things. So you want to make sure that the harness isn't going to rotate into the dog's armpits. So that means if you think of some harnesses, which and these are particularly the kind of strappy webbing type harnesses, which have a strap that goes between the front, the dog's front legs. So it is a Y fronted harness. These tend to rotate around the body of the dog. So that strap that goes between the dog's front legs can end up in one armpit or the other armpit of the dog's front legs. It can sort of rotate around the barrel, which is the dog's body, and that strap can end up wedged into the armpit of the dog, one or the other. And that's not very comfortable and it doesn't look right and it doesn't work very well when that happens. So that's another thing to look out for. And whatever harness you choose, obviously you want to make sure that it's not irritating your dog on the, in the sensitive skin under their armpits as well. So either that it sits away from the armpits and isn't right stuck into them, or that it's a really soft material that's not going to irritate your dog in, in that place. So those are some sort of features to look out for for harnesses, the fit of harnesses, and choosing a harness for your particular dog. I just want to talk a little bit about some of the history of, of all of this, because I think people who've maybe come into training more recently don't realise how things have evolved and it's always interesting. So let's go back a bit and talk a little bit about when I got my Weimarana puppy slate. So this is probably about 15 years ago and at the time I was lucky enough to um, come across a forum online called the Weimarana Forum which was amazing and it's now defunct it doesn't exist anymore but it was very helpful and the people on there were great and really helped guide new puppy owners into the path of positive reinforcement and as a result of that i i got to see the the scene as it were of positive reinforcement training in the uk at the time and what what was the done thing what was considered the done thing and the kind of perspective on the collar and harness thing at that time was that even force-free trainers used flat collars and harnesses, it was said, encouraged dogs to pull. So the type of harnesses that were around at the time were only back-fastening harnesses. There were no front-fastening harnesses. They did not exist 15 years ago. Um, well, if they did, almost no one knew of them. So effectively, they didn't exist. And we had only backfastening harnesses. So backfastening harnesses are almost a different product to a front-fastening harness. A backfastening harness makes your dog very powerful, enables your dog to really throw its weight into the harness. If you think about a husky pulling a sled, that's what's able to happen. If your dog isn't trained, of course, and if they're just trying to get to something and you know they're not very well trained yet. So they're able to be very strong, 
Um, so it, it makes the dog physically able to throw their weight into something and makes them very strong. And the other effect that that back fastening harnesses have is that it's very difficult to engage the front of the dog. So when you're training a dog, you want to be obviously working on focus and eye contact and the dog paying attention to you as opposed to everything else around it. And you want to be giving the dog treats to their mouth. And basically, interaction with the head of the dog is kind of important. And when the head of the dog is, you know, far away from you, because you've got the clip on the leash attached to the spine, halfway down the spine of the dog, it's really hard to get around in front to engage the head of the dog and the front of the dog um, and to get that focus. And even to disengage the head of the dog from the floor can be difficult if you're using a, a back fastening harness because you just can't, even if you use food and you're trying to put the food in the dog's nose, the dog's nose is down on the floor and you can't reach that far and also hold on to the the leash and keep the dog there if you try and walk forwards and the dog just takes that leash up and gets further away from you um so anyway back fastening harnesses it was believed were useful for tracking for um sledding for carting for all these activities that involve the dog pulling something but it was not recommended 15 years ago that you use the harness just you know to have your dog walking at your side for most force-free trainers, almost all force-free trainers. I'm going to say that because I'm about to talk about an exception to that. So um, when I had my Vimerana puppy Slate, I liked to take her to uh, as many different puppy training classes as I could reach because I was quite into the whole idea of socialization. And I believed that we were getting valuable experiences attending different classes. So one of the classes that we went to was a brilliant clicker training class run by Jill White in Shoreham. Um, and Jill's organization was called Taking the Lead. And her policy, at the, even at that time, even 15 years ago, was to put a harness on your dog and bring your dog to class in a harness. So I really wanted to go to Jill's classes. I'd heard brilliant things about them. And I I had also had this conflicting message from other force-free trainers that harnesses encourage your dog to pull and you shouldn't use them, blah, blah, blah. So I thought I'd have a go for myself and see what happens. So I put a harness on Slate and being a young Vimerana puppy, you can imagine what that was like. It was like having a yo-yo on the end of a piece of string and it was very difficult to engage the front of the dog's head and um, work with achieving her focus. Um, obviously we did, but it wasn't as easy as it was, you know, if we were using a collar which we were for most of her other classes, all of her other classes, really. Um, so I'm I'm kind of a bit ashamed to confess to this sin that I committed 15 years ago, but I did put the harness on Slate just before we went to class and I took it off immediately after class. And I'm very sorry about that. Oh, hopefully she's not listening. Um, so, yeah, um, I feel really bad about that now, but that's what I did. And I now think that Jill was very enlightened and forward thinking to have that policy as early as 15 years ago and to have that policy in isolation and without it being the widespread accepted thing to do at the time. So I have a newfound respect and admiration for that. So, but at the time I, I didn't. So, um, I really wanted to use a harness. I could see that using a collar wasn't great because Slate did obviously 
like young vine runner puppies charge into her collar occasionally and i didn't like that i didn't like that she sometimes choked when she did that and i stood still to stop her from being able to continue to pull me forwards that sometimes she would choke herself i didn't like that but i couldn't find an alternative because the alternative in terms of the harness just wasn't practical it made her very strong it made her able to tow me forward several steps when i tried to stop if the lead went tight so it was kind of undoing our training and i found it very hard so a collar it had to be as far as i could see and that with slate was how it was until front fastening harnesses came on the market which revolutionized everything and there's a little sort of coda to this story which i think is important as well or interesting at least which is that slate when she was 10 years old was diagnosed with a prolapsed disc in her neck and it was an extruded disc and it needed surgery. She had to have specialist surgery at Fitzpatrick's in the UK, uh, Fitzpatrick's referrals to have this disc fixed. It's very expensive as well. And, you know, is there a correlation between use of a collar throughout most of her life and her being the dog which ended up needing this disc surgery out of all of our dogs? I'm not sure. So anyway, I now am quite happy to use harnesses and I tend to use a harness which has a front attachment and also a back attachment and I use that while I'm training the dog and I tend to find that once the dog walks to heel well I don't really need to use the front attachment anymore I can just use the back attachment and you know everything remains fine so I kind of use the front attachment only in the training process and when I need to get that additional focus from the dog when I need to prevent the dog from being able to um, throw the weight in the forward and forward and tow me forwards um the front attachment really is very helpful um so i'm going to talk a bit about um uniforms now and equipment and uniforms so the uniform for um gun dogs obviously is a slip lead so if you think about your sort of classic image of a gun dog it it would have a slip lead on that's what we would consider to be gun dog uniform as it were just like if you imagine a search and rescue dog, it probably has a harness on. If you imagine a dog which is sledding, it probably has a harness on. So there is a piece of equipment which goes with the image that is the dog sport, if that makes sense. However, I think it's really important that we separate out the image and the best practice because we've chosen something that we want to use which is works best for that dog idea if that makes sense so basically to give you an example of that um sometimes i have people come to classes with a little puppy a little say a little gun dog breed of puppy which is like 10 or 12 weeks old and they have a slip lead on their dog and the reason they have a slip lead on the dog is because they're quite sold on the whole gun dog image thing they want to look like they have a gun dog they want the dog to be a gun dog when it grows up and they want to have everything as gun dog as possible right from the very beginning because that's what they want to end up with so okay folks it's time for a whistle pause a whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor but i don't have a sponsor so instead i'm going to play you a tune on my trusty acme 212 Now, the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now, the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. 
I record it, edit it, upload it myself, and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's Whistle Pause. Let's get back to the show. I think... I think it's important to recognize that there's nothing wrong with having that as a goal to end up with, but it doesn't mean it's appropriate for a 10 or 12 week old puppy to have a slip lead on because the pup's going to choke themselves on a slip lead even more than on a flat collar. And it's also important to think that, you know, you can't get closer to this ideal you have just through changing your clothes or your dog's clothes. You need to get closer to this ideal through training so you need to be putting in the time training your dog to be a gun, actually be a gun dog and not just dress you and your dog up in the clothes of a gun dog and a gun dog owner. So it's like, you know, you actually have to be the part and not just look the part. And there's actually no rush to look the part until you've got all the training done and you're ready to actually be the part. So there's no need to wear all that stuff just yet. It's just focus on the training and not on the image. So that's what I would just say about the whole uniform side of things. But there does come a time when, say you've trained your dog using a harness and your dog's reached the point where you'd like to start to go to some other classes with other people around. Now, if those classes are force-free classes, then you probably will want to continue using a harness. Um, and if other people around you are as well, then that's fine. However, if you want to join a more mainstream class where there are perhaps people around you using aversives or the instructors use aversives sometimes of some sort and you just know, you just get a sense that they would disapprove of the use of the harness, then you may want to instead use a limited slip. So a limited slip converts a slip lead into a collar and a leash, a flat collar and leash. So you know, it's not as great as a harness, but it's not it's not going to choke your dog like a noose like a slip lead probably does. So um, a limited slip is better, a better choice than a slip lead. And it looks exactly the same. Not many people will be able to tell that it's a limited slip unless they look at it really closely. So you are going to fit right in with with mainstream gun dog society and community um, with your limited slip, which you wouldn't with a harness. Um, so... And I'd also think, you know, at that point, it's time to start thinking about that limited slippers as, as a uniform that your dog wears when they're actually working. So anytime you're on a shoot or anytime you're um, competing, your dog's got their slip lead on or their limited slip lead on because that is part of the uniform of a working gun dog. So and that's kind of what I recommend, really. So using a harness when a dog is young, preferably with a front fastening attachment clip using that whilst you're working on all the basics of heel work and steadiness and everything that you need to work on 
you can then move to using only the back lip as you start to see that your dog is trained well enough to be able to use only the back lip and then when you start to venture out into wider gun dog communities and society then you can use a limited slip lead of course that doesn't mean you have to convert permanently to a limited slip lead you can continue to use your harness when you're training by yourself on a daily basis and as much as possible to kind of reduce the effect and the impact on your dog's neck of those tiny little niggles and jerks that probably add up throughout the dog's lifetime and contribute towards disc issues and arthritis in old age so let's get on to the product review now hold the line So I have trialed a lot of harnesses over the years. In fact, I've kind of made it my thing or one of my things. I do tend to be very detailed and slightly veering towards obsessive, um, which isn't a bad quality in a dog trainer, I think. But um, that does mean that I have gone into this in some detail and I've really thought about this. In fact, I just thought I'd just quickly now make a list of all the harnesses that I have tried on my own dogs over the years. So... Here is the list. Um, easy Walk, Sensation, Walk in Sync, T-Touch Harness, Roughwear Webmaster, Roughwear Front Range, Blue Nine Balance Harness, The Hacky Hana Harness, Perfect Fit, The Freedom Harness, and The Dog Copenhagen Comfort Walk Pro, and Dog Copenhagen Comfort Walk Air. So that's quite a lot of harnesses. So, and that's leaving aside tracking harnesses. There have been about three or four brands of tracking harnesses that I've tried as well, but I'm not going to get into that. So just um, to be clear about any sort of bias, um, I should also say that I have in the past sold Perfect Fit harnesses and Freedom harnesses. I don't sell those two any longer, but what I sell is always motivated by what I think is best. So it's not the case of I want to make money, so I promote the thing that I'm selling. It's more a case of... I. I research products, I identify products which I really like and I sell that product because I think it's really good. I want to make it available to my own clients. So it kind of comes from that perspective rather than from any attempt to make money. Um, So with all that said and done, the harness I'm going to review is the last one I mentioned, uh, the Dog Dog Copenhagen Comfort Walk Air harness. And this is the harness which I've decided to stock now. And so... um, it kind of ticks all the boxes for me. It's been a bit of a quest, this sort of attempt to find a really, I don't want to use the word perfect, but a really good harness which ticks all the boxes. So I'm just going to run through why I really like this harness. So the fit or design of the Y-front webbing harnesses is, is what it has. So it kind of has a Y-front to it, but it's not the sort of normal webbing material that you usually find on Y-front harnesses, and it's not a thin type of material. It's it's thicker and wider and padded, um, and this means that it doesn't rotate into the dog's armpit, left or right. Uh, it sort of stays centred on the dog, unlike some harnesses which have that Y-front. It has a neck clip, so dogs which don't like the harness going on over their head can have it done up around their neck and they don't have to deal with that. And the other bonus of the neck clip means that it can also be fitted quite snugly. So that means that that it doesn't gape very much, basically, because 
you can you don't have to make it big enough that it has to fit over the dog's head so therefore you just need to fit it around the dog's neck and that reduces the amount of gapage at the shoulder as i talked about before it sits quite high up so it does not obstruct the movement of the dog's front legs it looks really cool by the way as well you just have to sort of google it dog copenhagen comfort walk air um the front attachment on this harness is metal so it's not like I know the um for example the rough wear front range harness has a kind of rubbery sort of weakish looking front attachment point and I really like that the Comfort Walk Air has this metal attachment point on both both attachments on the back and on the front so um it looks really sturdy and well made um I'm going to interrupt this fibreless discussion to bring you today's whistle pause. The whistle pause is where an ad break would usually be, but I don't have an ad break. I just have me and my whistle, my trusty T12, on which I'm going to play you a tune. The sad thing about my whistle at the moment is that it's dying a little bit, so bits of plastic have broken off. So it will only blow if I blow it really loudly, then a note will come out. Otherwise, it's this kind of whispery, hoarse, airy, breathy noise. So I've got another whistle on order, and I'd like to reassure you that the, the whistle pause will improve in quality in future episodes. Now, the reason we don't have an ad break here and you have this whistle pause instead is because I don't have a sponsor. I don't want a sponsor because I want to be completely free to recommend the products I want to recommend and I don't want to have to recommend a product that I don't believe in or love in order to get sponsorship. So there are some ways you can support me though because otherwise it is just me making this podcast. So if you like this podcast, there are some simple things and free things that you can do. One is to share it and to tell other people about it and to post it on social media and to promote it whenever you can. The other thing you can do will benefit you as well, I hope. You can check out some of my courses, my online platform, forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon, wherever you live. That is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. It um, has reflective strips in it, which is just a nice little touch, and it has an ID tag attachment so that you can put your dog's ID tags on that. Um, it sits away from the dog's armpit, so it doesn't go right up into the armpits. It gives a good amount of distance there between the dog's armpits. And like I said, it just fits really well. Just, you know, I don't know, you just know when something fits well and when it's a good fit. And I've also sold a few now to my own clients, and I'm really satisfied seeing them on their dogs as well. and thinking this just really fits. Um, and stays fitting when you're using it as well. So I really am a huge fan of this harness. I think it's really great. The Dog Copenhagen people make another one, the Comfort Walk Pro, which I tried before I tried the Comfort Walk Air. I wasn't so much of a fan of the Comfort Walk Pro. It doesn't have a clip around the neck, so it has to go over the dog's head. And it's also one of these harnesses which... Um, I don't know how to describe it. It has a lot of material to it. So it has a lot of coverage of the dog's back and chest. 
um, and I like that the Comfort Walk Air has less material, but it's also padded and it's it's more than just a, a thin webbing material. So I really so I like that too. So anyway, give it a Google. It's a Dog Copenhagen Comfort Walk Air, and we can get it in most countries now. I think um, the stockists are in various different places. So. Yeah, I really like this harness and it's the one I've decided to sell after having taken several months off selling any harnesses to give me time to trial some and check them out. Um, And this is kind of what I've come up with. So their website is dogcopenhagen.com. And obviously um, with a name like that, they are made in Denmark. So go check them out. Hold the line. So now it's time for a quick training question which came in this week. Hi, Joe. I love your podcast. I have a training question for you. My dog is a one-year-old Labrador and she doesn't want to bring retrieve items back to me. She runs off with them and continues to stay away from me if I approach her. What can I do? Thank you. So the short answer to this is the clicker retrieve. Um, That's the very short answer, the three-word answer, in fact. Now, there is some stuff that you can do. There is definitely stuff you can do with a puppy as soon as you bring a puppy home to try to prevent these problems from developing. These problems tend to happen because the puppies always pick stuff up, um, anything up, anything they find around the house, they'll pick up. And then owners chase puppies or just even walk up to puppies and constantly remove stuff from the puppy's mouth. So the puppy grows up learning When I have something, it gets taken off me. When I have something valuable, which I quite want, that's why I picked it up in the first place, because I wanted it, someone comes up and takes it off me. So the puppy grows up seeing you as an adversary, seeing you as a threat to their possession of this thing. And sometimes this can lead to resource guarding. Other times it can lead to what we call keep away, which is what Rob was describing there in his question. So... Yeah, so what we can do to try to prevent this is always make sure we have some treats in our pocket. They don't need to be especially high value treats with puppies. Usually just having a little pocket full of kibble or something or whatever it is you feed your dog or some healthy treats, something dry but healthy in your pocket um, is fine. So as long as you have it readily accessible, that's the most important thing. So when your puppy picks up something which you don't want them to have, you just walk up to the puppy, say drop, pop the treat out on the puppy's nose the puppy will drop whatever they've got because they want your treat and now this is the important bit do not pick up the item from in front of the puppy some puppies will be fine with that and it won't cause any problems but just to be sure we really want to make sure we're not inflaming what we call keep away so once the puppies drop the item because they want your treat you are just going to lure them forwards with that treat on their nose so they might be licking your fingers and nibbling the treat and you're just going to slowly lure them forwards over the thing they've dropped so it's now behind them then you're going to feed them the treat with one hand while with the other hand you pick up the object from behind the puppy so your goal is for the puppy not to see you pick up the object now I don't know how to ex- how to explain why this is. All I know is that it is. If your puppy turns around and sees you already holding the desired object, it does not trigger any feelings of possessiveness or keep away um, or any sense of you know resource guarding. It's not going to trigger any of that if they turn around and see you already holding it. If they see you taking possession of it, picking it up from the floor, that is what's going to trigger those feelings in your dog or puppy. So you want to make sure they don't see you actually pick it up. And you're going to do that by using that treat to lure the puppy away so that their back is turned towards the dropped object. 
before you then pick it up. So if you just do this all the time you are raising a puppy, then when you get to start the clicker retrieve, you will have a pretty good um, foundation to build on there. You won't have the, the bad habit of keep away or possessiveness or resource guarding to deal with with the clicker retrieve because you kind of have prevented it from from ever arising in the first place just by routinely doing this simple small maneuver anytime your puppy picks something up. So yes, this is really how to prevent the problem from developing in the first place. If you already have a keep away problem, as Rob does uh, in his question, um, then you're probably going to need to bring up the big guns and deal with it via the clicker retrieve. The clicker retrieve could probably be I don't know if it could be a podcast in itself, but it could definitely be a series of a podcast in itself. That's an idea. Um, but it's too much to get into for for right now. Um, but I will be doing some material on the Click Achieve in the future. But there is out there a lot of information about it. My book, which is coming out this summer, is going to have an entire chapter on the Click Achieve with illustrated um, diagrams showing you how to complete each step. I also have an online course on the Click Achieve where you are sent information and steps each week for five weeks on how to complete it. So. I do have resources if you're interested in learning how to do it properly. Um, there is also information online and other areas like on YouTube or if you just Google the Click Retrieve, you can read some stuff about it. Um, but the idea is that you train the dog to want to cooperate with you and to want to bring stuff back to you using the Click Retrieve. But yes, what I just mentioned, that little maneuver can help prevent your dog from learning that you are a threat to their possession of whatever the object is that they have and that they want to retain possession of. So do make sure you raise your puppy using that manoeuvre anytime you need to take an object off them. Hold the line. So if you have a training question for me, you can email me at galady at mac.com. That's G-A-L-O-D-Y at mac, M-A-C dot com. And it would be even better if you can fire up voice memos in your iphone um, which is an app which all iphones have and just record me your question and then email me the recording because then we can actually play your voice just like i did rob's there Um, it's just much better than me just reading you the question so that's all for this week folks thanks for tuning in to this epistle on harnesses i hope to see you back here next time please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and also to give me five stars on itunes or stitcher or whatever it is you're listening to this on assuming you've enjoyed it of course i hope you have see you soon Hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line.